you got to be gentle about things. You know, it's like when you're a kid and your your parents like do this or else, and you're like no, and it's just a knee jerk reaction for rebellion. But you show things in a humanistic way, sweetly, gently, that we're all humans. We all have bodies. We're all valid to be here. It's a slow process. I mean, what's going on in the world and the healing that needs to be done, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Hi, everybody. Happy Tuesday and welcome to Blissfully Aware. I'm your host, Ioana Friedman. I'm so thrilled to have Heather White with us this week. Heather is a birth doula and a documentary photographer, and she brings so much warmth and courage to everything she touches. You'll hear us talk about life after birth, creating beauty out of tragic loss, changing social attitudes through human connection and emotional art, and regaining a sense of self as a parent. It's serious stuff, yes, but it's peppered with lots of joy and humor, which is so reflective of Heather's way of seeing and moving through life. Here it is. Heather White, you're in the house. I'm so excited to sit with you. I'm so excited to be here. Welcome. Thank you. The people who migrate to you and to the daring have a lot in common, so Mm -hmm. I'm so psyched to sit with you and chat about life. I've been a part of a really exciting project I'm really honored to be a part of. It's called the Life After Birth Project, and it's an exhibit that's traveling the world, funded by the company NYX, which makes leak-proof underwear, very gender-neutral. They're all about body positivity and everything. So this is a passion project, and it's about the realness of postpartum life, and it's all of its messiness and emotions and all of that. They commissioned me to do some portraits at my studio in Brooklyn and then in Toronto a couple of weeks ago. And I shot 62 subjects in one day. Which is a Herculean effort. (laughs) And knowing you and knowing how much love and effort and energy you put into your sessions with people, like even just sitting across from you, I can tell you give it your all. I did. And I'm sure you did it over and over again for 62 humans. Yeah. And, you know, even though there were short little 10-minute sessions, I connected with everybody so beautifully. And many of them, I'm so honored, trusted me with their body and self-image enough to um, strip down to just their skivvies. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and it was so powerful for them. A lot of what the Life After Birth Project has been about is, you know, documenting realness. And we've been in such a rut with, like, the perfect Instagrammable moment, and we're really trying to be part of making that shift into, into things are real and messy, and that's okay, and don't judge yourself. So many women dared to basically bear all, no bra and down to underwear, and saying to me that I've never done anything like this before. I've, you know, been so critical about my body, my size, my curves, my my lines, whatever, things that we are, all think we need to self-criticize about, and saying how healing it was. That's the power in this. And make beauty out of the imperfection, and it's all there. And we laughed and we cried and we hugged and we swapped stories about how crazy this life is with a family and how the overall theme is, you know, losing yourself in the process, losing your identity. And so many of us as parents lose connection with our bodies because all of our time and energy is so much being given to the other people that need us. Yeah. 
is there a way to pinpoint what established that connection between you and the person in front of you? That's a good question. I've had an innate instinct of just how to reach people, mm-hmm. um, how to how to read people. I like to think I have the skill of being able to talk to anyone about anything. And in fact, I love challenging myself. I've been, you know, halfway around the world and riding on the back of a bus, sitting on top of a 50 pound bag of rice and you know, striking <laughs> up random conversations, being surrounded by chickens. And like, that's me. I'll talk. Oh my God. I just have a vision of slaughtering yeah. chickens. Yeah. Well, have you noticed anytime you go halfway around the world, if you ever take a bus ride, there's always bags of rice and like live chickens on the bus. And to me, it's not a quality trip unless that happens. (laughs) Um, That's brilliant. You know, it's the pinpoint moment. I think people are reading me. I think they're reading the genuineness. It's a fine line when somebody is shooting you without your clothes on. Are they objectifying you? Mm -hmm. Are they valuing you and appreciating you as a human in your most raw state? I think they feel that genuineness is that I'm honored by their presence of being so open and bearing with me. And I'm just there to document their beauty coming from the inside out. And flaws be damned, you know, (laughs) because perfection is boring. Our flaws are what make us interesting. Whenever I get a a scar or something, I'm like, eh, scars tell a story. It's the same thing with every bump and every line and everything. And, you know, I'm middle-aged now. I'm 46. And, you know, I'm embracing the fact that, you know, lines are popping up on my face and everything. And that's okay. I earn those lines. Those... Laugh lines, I've seen a lot of laughter. Those too many Burning Man (laughs) age spots. Yeah. And so I really feel like when I'm behind the camera, I'm not just a portrait photographer. I'm a documentary photographer. Mm -hmm. I'm just there with the studio lights. And I'm just documenting the energy and the people. And I'm capturing those in-between moments. Nothing's posed. Everything is real. And the emotions, that's the sweet spot where you capture the real person. It's no wonder people connect with you. Thank you. That just sounds like love. You're accepting people for who they are. Absolutely. A big part of when I was shooting at the Life After Birth Project in Toronto is that the exhibit there, it shows me and my personal experience with my life after birth. I've been very quiet about it. It's been a deep personal story of mine, but I had a full-term loss with a child that died during birth. And the story is told in the exhibit. And so many people that came through and were shooting with me, they saw my work and were touched by it. Then they read the blurb about my postpartum experience, and it reached a whole different level of touching their heart and their soul. Well, your work is an extension of your personal story. Yeah, definitely. Just to even go back, you know, many years. I've been shooting since the year 2000. At first, not professionally. I'm self-taught, but I always seem to have the great innate eye, and things started happening. I started getting jobs, but yet I always kind of had this overwhelming imposter syndrome doubt, like, oh, I didn't study for this. This is all just dumb luck. I was always scared to push it forward, feeling like I was never ready. And also living in New York City, you know, who the hell am I to think I'm the photographer that can do something big and wonderful when there are so many other well-trained and disciplined people with, uh, you know, the pedigree behind them and everything when I'm just, you know, some punk running around (laughs) with a camera (laughs) making some good shots. You know what? That punk (laughs) connects with people. That yeah. punk is lovable and easy to talk with and yeah. totally disarming and no technical skill under the sun will ever top that. 
Right. Ever. Right. Technical skill does not top heart. <laughs> True. It's the energy. You could learn the technical, but it's the energy and the connection with people that is where I excel. And so for years, I just struggled as an artist, not <laughs> valuing my skills in this world and my place in, in this industry or whatever. Um, and I'd have bursts of success. And then I would cower back from it and be like, Oh, I didn't deserve that. That was just total fluke. Uh, you know, yeah, a poster girl for imposter syndrome, for sure. And why does this happen to women more than men? That's a whole other discussion. We can table that for now. We can and table that. Talk about it at length. Separately. Yeah, definitely. But anyway, so the big change for me, though, 10 years ago, I gave birth to a child that ended up passing away. I usually like to yada yada the super sad parts and the gallons of tears. But, you know, going through something like that changes you forever. And I had a lot to process, which is an understatement of a lifetime. Uh, but part of my process of grieving and healing was to learn everything I could about birth, to try to make sense of what you couldn't make sense of, to understand what happened when there's no understanding what happened, there's no changing what happened, there was nothing medically wrong. You know, in the end, I just needed to make, make peace with something that's unexplainable and finding a way to move forward. Uh, seven months later after my loss, I became pregnant with my daughter, Lola. And after she was born, I decided to do my doula training to start giving back and that that was how I would honor my son that passed away. So I started to attend births. But meanwhile, every time I'm going to a birth for a long time there, it was like facing my flashback of my own birth. My son ended up passing away during the pushing phase. And, you know, every time I'm there supporting a woman through her birth, I'm secretly hoping, praying that this baby's okay. And of course it did. Birth generally works and the body is amazing. The supporting people through birth, again and again, it became a very healing thing. But what's really exciting is that I always had my camera with me from day one. Coming home from a birth, which was scary for me and it was traumatic for me. It's like revisiting my moment of trauma. But I would load my card up, start editing the photos, and I realized I was really onto something special, that I'm documenting the first moments of somebody coming into this world. They're photojournalistic. I don't Photoshop. They're raw. They're very passionate. They're full of all sorts of intensity on every end of the spectrum. But that's life. And that really just fit with energetically, like who I am, the messiness, the good, the bad, the everything. And when I started to really click that I was onto something special with this, it became also a very healing thing for me that birth works, life works, life comes full circle. And I would love to let our listeners know that you've been my doula twice. Yes. And it was magical. <laughs> Working with you as my doula put me at peace because I knew that if my kid were to die in birth, it would be okay because you were okay. Yeah. You were the perfect partner for our family and for me as a human in that very, very vulnerable and raw moment. And as you said, it's so messy. It's freaking crazy. But I felt so supported, so infinitely supported by you. And damn it to hell, but your loss is your strength. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> you know, I had... I had to find a way to make beauty out of the madness or else I wouldn't have survived it. I had to find a way to be part of my story in a positive way. And it's so funny, you know, fast forward all these years, I've attended now almost 200 births. I am proud to say it's been an amazing journey. And most of those I've documented by taking photos. And so I have this great body of work that's mostly very private, though. 
a lot of times I'm sitting across from potential clients, having a conversation with them and a question comes up. So what inspired you to get into birth work? I'm sitting across from these first time parents that are just so blissful and in awe of the process and the future that's to come. And I, uh, I don't want to put any of my story in their head at all. I don't want any of my experience to be part of what they're even thinking about. So the oddly, how I answer that question is that, well, I had a really tough first birth and there was a lot I needed to process afterwards. Mm-hmm. And through learning so much about birth, I became inspired to give back, which is uh, the understatement of a lifetime. But it really is succinctly the truth. You take the toughest moment of your life and you can either let it drag you down or you can make something beautiful out of it. So I really feel like getting into the birth work and photographing births was a big turning point for me creatively. Because beforehand, I was, you know, tortured artist, soul, imposter syndrome. But all of a sudden, my work had meaning. And you owned it. And I owned it. And it was my story and my meaning. It always seems like every every few years, like something comes along that knocks me off my feet. Like, holy shit. Okay. <laughs> What's this about? Now I'm just like this old warrior when it comes to like trauma. I'm like, okay, this is what's happening. This totally sucks. And I know it's going to take some time. A. B. I'm going to get through this. C. There's going to be some lesson along the way. And D, there's going to be some magical outcome from it. Do you think that takes some curiosity about the unknown? Would you consider yourself curious about the unknown? Oh, I'm a a great believer in exploring the unknown. Actually, my favorite way to travel is to just book a ticket to some, like, corner of the world and, like, fly there two days later with... (laughs) like a book-sized backpack in a lonely planet and just like deposit myself in a strange country <laughs> and a camera, of course. I mean, that's it's a big part of, you know, my process is just uh, don't scratch the surface, go deeper in it. And when you explore deeper, like that's where the feelings are. And then that's where the, the work that comes out of it ends up being deeper and more emotional. And I feel like that's what my photography is. It's the depth of emotion. You know, everybody's got a camera these days. Everybody's a photographer. What's the signature for my work is the emotions behind it. And your willingness to be naked in front of people. Yeah. And then even though I'm not standing there in my underwear with a camera, I'm very open and sharing all of my trauma and all of the darkness that I've been through and recovered from. And we've all had stuff. And it helps bridge a connection. It does. And we were saying a little bit earlier how talking about all the trauma that we've had and the pain can be very cleansing. Right. Because there's often so much shame that accompanies bearing it. So when I look at your work, you know, this project that you're doing with Life After Birth, I see it as um, kind of an embodiment of talking about the mess as a way of healing. Absolutely. We've been so perfect and plastic and for so long, hashtag this, blah, 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 follow me, whatever. And then we're now in this era where we've got Instagram hashtag president. That's the result of what our media has has been for a long time. And people are craving to get real now. And those of us need to take the lead and be bold and show the messiness and the realness. Yeah. Not everybody can handle it. and It's not for everybody to put it all out there, but I feel like there's a trend. It takes a critical mass in a way because if you and I are willing to be messy in public, 
it might give permission and courage to somebody else who is on the fringe to do the same. Absolutely. Hashtag president. (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag Donald Trump. Oh my God. Yeah, I think people are aware we're in a crisis. There's such a disconnect. And it's not just the president, but it's the system that put him in place. And it's not just political system that put him in place. It's, you know, the whole society that put him in place. Having most people watch, you know, reality shows, reality president, watching everybody's lives from the outside, becoming couch potatoes and passively taken in, you know, realness dying away for a long time. Because people are not interconnecting. Yeah. Physically. We're, and I'm guilty of this too. I mean, I, I could watch Netflix for hours on end, I'll admit it. And what happens when I do that is I stop talking to my family. I stop <laughs> talking to my friends because I'm entertaining myself. I'm consuming other things. I'm trading in, mm-hmm. right? That real life human connection and warmth and all of that with something that's, you know, concocted for my mm-hmm. consumption. It's so fucked up. Yeah. But you're able to cut through the bullshit because when somebody is on the other side of your lens, you have this magical ability to connect really quickly. 62 people in how many (laughs) hours? There were two sessions, three hours each. Yeah. And I mean, that's like... the math on that. Oh my gosh. I don't know. That's like a marathon. It was a marathon. Uh, In fact, at the gallery, there was like wine and cheese and all that good stuff going on and people kept trying to be like can I get you a trigger I'm like no no focus focus gotta make it happen and by the time I shut the lights off and put my camera down at the end of the night I was absolutely drained of everything and did you realize you hadn't peed all day <laughs> I think I went yeah and afterwards the people there with the event that were running it they're like oh my god Heather you're an animal here, drink this wine. Let's take you out for food. Yeah. Ah. I flew home the next day with a raging hangover and a nice big smile. Good stuff. Where do you think you're going to take it next, that project? Well, where we're physically taking it next, we're going to LA. So we're going to have a gallery opening there. So I'm taking the show on the road and I'll be on LA making portraits there of uh, parents or whoever comes through the door and I'm already psyching myself up. Lessons I learned from the last marathon. and Let's hear them. Let's hear them. <laughs> I'm a birth worker, and I'm pretty good at doing like marathons that test me physically. The longest time I've ever been in a birth was 49 continuous hours. And when a person is going through labor, it would be completely out of place to yawn and be like, okay, I'm going to go take a nap you keep doing that work you're doing no I can't I can't tag out if I'm if I'm tired so I'm really good at having stamina to focus on work and get work done when I need to get done but you know like the basics of physical endurance you know hydrate have a snack have quiet time before to mentally set your brain before the chaos ensues you have your own studio in Brooklyn in Red Hook it's Mm -hmm. called Nuss Studio how perfect (laughs) How perfect. People get to come and nestle in this really innovative place. Can you talk to us a little bit about what you do there? It's totally my girl cave, I confess. (laughs) (laughs) I got a studio space a little over two years ago. It's big open space, 1,400 some square feet. It's got a swing. Yes. That's how the girl cave has evolved into, you know, I often return client emails while I'm in my swing. You know, I like to make work as ridiculous as possible so I can have fun while I'm 
trying to work and you know but I noticed when I was trying to work in the swing that like my (laughs) phone when she works in the swing it didn't quite work it wasn't quite working and I noticed like my phone was falling through the openings in the web and crashing onto the floor and I had no place to put my drink (laughs) very important so as an ingenious you know parent I was like what I really need is a stroller caddy so (laughs) you know one of those organizers that holds your phone and your drink uh, by the handles of the stroller so I've attached that to it the swing is going to evolve more and more over the years to be like the centerpiece of my girl cave but studio well I'm a pretty ridiculous person in life you know like I said if I'm not having fun you know what's 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 the the point? point what's the point so, you know, of course, I've, I've got all the gear there and I've got all my, you know, cherished pro photo lighting and my C stands and all of that good stuff. But then I also have a giant steel horse from the Acavallo Carousel, the Burning Man project I'm a part of, and the horse is on wheels. It is a little rusty and you are at risk if you get on it of, you know, getting cut or whatever. Oh, that's so the risk you take. people, do your tetanus shot before you visit the <laughs> studio and hug, and then you'll be good to go. Or assume the risk for the sake of art. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so my studio space, it's, you know, my creative home. It also definitely serves an emotional need for me. I have two small kids. We live in a New York City apartment. I tried for years to edit in like the small back room before the kids were in separate rooms. And it was just chaos and clutter and just not being disciplined. But there's something about getting up and going to work and taking yourself seriously that really helps. And I walk in and the space is me and you can just feel my energy everywhere. (laughs) One of my most ridiculous things there is, you know, so much about photography, it's, it's not about clicking a shutter, it's all the other stuff, like the editing, editing, editing. And so often I'm there for hours in tunnel vision from editing, and I'm just like, ugh, which photo, this photo or this photo? And it's all a blur. I keep roller skates in my studio. That's uh, all about it, please. <laughs> I have a pair of beautiful blue suede moxie roller skates Oh my God, these guys would love this. Oh my God. I'm such a fangirl, estrogen, if you're listening. Um, (laughs) Anyway, part of my process has been over the years is that when I reach that wall of editing tunnel vision where nothing is making sense, like, all right, take a break, go skate. (laughs) (laughs) So you do laps? I'll do laps. So my my, uh, studio is about 100 feet long and I will put on some music, I'll blare it, I'll be as ridiculous as I want. You know, go mix it up. When you feel like you're in a rut, shake it off, do something physical. So roller skating, that's my pacing. (laughs) (laughs) Pacing on steroids. (laughs) You know, why walk when you could skate? I love what you're saying that it's okay not to be productive every second of studio time. I'm creative in spurts and, you know, I have a big rush of all the energy that I need and then I'm like, okay, I need to rest now. I really wish I was a little more steady on it, but yeah, it's been serving me. It's beautiful that you're aware of it. Do you think people are built to sustain a level of energy, or do you think things ebb and flow? I mean, for me and what I mostly see in life, there's an ebb and flow. So why would you expect yourself to be steadier? True. I feel like I'd be more productive if I was more consistent, but I've got to appreciate my own madness, I guess. I'd rather be behind on a lot of things that I'm excited about. 
Mm-hmm. That make me feel vibrant and alive and that I have a purpose. That's so true. I need to remember that. <laughs> and to have a tidy, fucking boring checklist. I mean, talk about quote unquote perfection. It doesn't exist. No. Like anytime you set yourself up to work on something that has meaning and, you know, you're in it for the long haul, there's always going to be stuff yeah. that you can't get to. I think that's okay. You're right. It is much more of a blessing to have too much on my plate. Do you feel overwhelmed? Definitely at times. I beat myself up and be like, oh, I should be doing more as a parent. Oh, I should be doing more with my home life. It's chaos in the house. It's sometimes chaos at the studio. It all is like hanging by a thread, it feels like. But yet there's some function in, in the beauty and the chaos. What do you think that is? That's probably really just an extension of who I am in my brain. <laughs> yeah. So do you think your internal environment is manifesting? Like, do you think your outside life is a representation, more or less, of what's happening internally for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Kudos to you. Oh my god, this is therapy session. (laughs) But that's really, really cool that you're... How do I want to put this? It's almost like you're, you're... planting the seeds for life that's authentic to who you are which that's where it's the most rewarding when it all happens but the flip side of that is you got to know how to hustle you can make great art but if you're not good at marketing yourself putting yourself out there you're not going to eat you're not going to live and a long time ago before I even really fell into this good pattern of work I always told myself that there are a lot of amazing artists that get little work There are a lot of not-so-great artists that get a lot of work. And if I'm just somewhere in the middle, I'll be fine. Years ago, I was at the Eddie Adams workshop, which I was Mm -hmm. so honored to be at. I was um, staff for the event. And for those of you who don't know about the Eddie Adams workshop, Eddie Adams was a Pulitzer Prize-winning photojournalist. And his legacy is that he runs a workshop for photojournalists. It's a free workshop. They take 100 uh, students in and match them with top photojournalists in the world. People with multiple Pulitzer Prizes, stepping off planes from wars and overseas, National Geographic photographers. We're talking people whose work just blows my mind. Um, So I was honored to be a part of that workshop years ago. And I had a conversation with another photographer who was also staffed there. It was somebody who had a good pedigree and Mm -hmm. awards and everything. Somebody that I was very humbled to speak to. And she asked me, she's like, oh, so where did you go to school at? And I said, well, I have a business degree in marketing from Ohio State. And she laughed and she said, that's almost better. (laughs) And I don't remember who that person was to this day. I wish I knew who it was and I would thank them. Or that one brief five second moment has stuck with me all these years. I was like, you know what? That's right. You got to know how to handle your business. Do you have a studio manager? That's what I need to do. I'm at the point now where I really realize that I need to spend some money and make some money. There's so much on my plate. I have to keep two children alive and fed and dressed and functioning and homework managed, you know, and I'm definitely not the helicopter parent and I don't go over top on any of the stuff. It's still, it's a lot to manage. Yes, I'm hiring a studio manager. If you want to come work with me, send me your info. There'll be a swing and some roller skates and a horse. Yeah. Made Absolutely. a horse sculpture, to be clear, in case you're tuning in right now. <laughs> Real horse. It'll be a fun place to work. There's so many opportunities I'm not capitalizing on because I just don't have the bandwidth. 
it's good to respond to every opportunity that comes across your plate. You can't make a judgment from an email what some person necessarily is going to path they're going to lead you down. What's your dream for your studio? Ah, what are you daring to build here? A hub of flurry of activity and people and art being made and music and people on roller skates and, <laughs> and my kids doing cartwheels in the background, but have it be functional and sustainable. Making money at it to a level that I can... I mean, so let's talk about money. I don't want to make money for the sake of making money anymore. Money to buy stuff so you can have more things. And when you're away from your stuff, you don't miss it. For me, it's more about the experiences now. I want to make money so that I can live and provide for my family. I want there to be an underlying theme of something meaning something. The content of the work having value for the greater good of the world right now. That's why I'm really drawn to the project Life After Birth. Because it's, it's trying to change attitudes and it's, it's emotional for people. It's opening up their minds and their ideas. It's having some social value to it. More of that. That's a big theme for me. Money is a means to an end for more of this work to continue. You know, fulfilling a purpose that's greater than you. Most of the guests who've come on um, have talked about this in their own way. But what we all have in common is this desire to have meaning and fulfill a purpose that's greater than what's immediately, you know, around us. And I feel like good art means something. There's an emotional connection. You know, you can walk past something and see something in a gallery and be like, oh, that's nice. But the stuff that really draws you in and hits you in the gut is something that there's an emotional component in it. Mm -hmm. That makes you think, makes you wonder, alters you in some way. And that's where the value is for me. And sometimes we can walk by a piece in a gallery or a museum and not think much of it until we learn a mm. little more totally about the true. intention. So true. Right? But it gets to that intimacy because the more we learn about the artist or the situation under which it was created, the more emotionally invested we become. And then the piece, we see it in a new light. Right. So there is a passion project of my own that I've been wanting to start up. I'm so emotionally drawn to everything that's happening and the media and society and everything that we're struggling with these days. And the strength of my work, other than like the documentary work and the birth work, is doing portraits, bringing out people and really showing them in a beautiful light. I want to set up a team. I'm putting this out there in the universe, if anybody's listening, of like a hair and makeup person, a stylist, and a writer. So that when an issue comes out in the media, want to especially focus on marginalized people. Say, for example, something comes out in the media about trans rights or something with the government is stripping away rights or this and that or bathroom issues or whatever. Respond immediately like the next day with a beautiful portrait of a person that fits that identity with something intelligent written about it. My thought behind that is so many of these issues of like marginalized people, it's out of touch for a lot of people in this country to identify with them. It's not in their life. They don't think about it. Well, of course, I don't want a transgender going to the bathroom or this and that because, you know, it doesn't affect their life. They don't understand it. They don't know it. So my goal with that would be to humanize a situation, creating a beautiful portrait, having some digestible blurb of the beauty about this person and serve it up in a gentle way. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that could be very powerfully done. Who would you be speaking to? 
the instant audience for me would be my Instagram followers. I'm from Ohio originally. I've been in New York City for 22 years though, but I still have a lot of strong connections to the Midwest. And I have a very diverse range of followers. And I still have a lot of followers from back there. You know, changing people's attitudes towards what they don't know, you have to serve things up beautifully and gently. I think somebody scrolling through my feed and seeing a beautiful portrait of somebody that isn't a person in their world, but then seeing the humanity in that person, if it's served gently, is a great way to slowly change some minds and attitudes. I love the word slowly and all of this. Yeah. It gets to the idea of patience. Yeah. You got to be gentle about things. You know, it's like when you're a kid and your your parents like, do this or else. And you're like, no. And it's just a knee-jerk reaction for rebellion. But you show things in a humanistic way, sweetly, gently, that we're all humans. We all have bodies. We're all valid to be here. It's a slow process. I mean, what's going on in the world and the healing that needs to be done, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Oh my God, say it again. (laughs) (laughs) To heal and change what we need to change to have us all level up in life to get through everything we need to. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm not talking just socially and environmentally, everything. Mm -hmm. Well, (laughs) environmentally, we need more of a sprint, but like now or never. You know, it's the speeding freight train. If you're going to turn a train around, it's slow to break and it's slow to turn. But you can get it going the other way. But it takes patience. And resilience, right? A lot of energy and push. I really feel like next generation, they're going to get it. I joke with my other parent friends that I feel like I'm Terminator mom. (laughs) Raising these two little kids for God knows what's to come with the environment. Mm -hmm. and what they're about to face and they have to go through active shooter drills in their school and that's horrifying to me and so inspired by seeing the strength in my children and what they're rising up to. Same. You're reminding me of a conversation I had with Dove, my husband, this morning. He showed me a meme. On the left-hand side was a teenage boy from, I think it was World War II, storming the beach. And on the right, it was a teenage person from today complaining about his feelings being hurt. And it's a meme, and you know, that shit can be stupid, but it got him thinking about how much sacrifice and vulnerability was put out by his grandfather's generation Mm -hmm. all the people served in the military Uh maybe they didn't see any action but they were trained for it and they understood that they were possibly going to be put in harm's way our generation and our parents generation reaped the benefits definitely that's why they're called the greatest generation but our children and i think to your point Things are going to change for them. They are changing for them. The children who are coming up now are hardcore. They're aware and they're vocal that they're inheriting a fucking shit show. Yeah. Given to them by two generations or so of human beings who've phoned it in for the most part. Right. And we're about conspicuous consumption and overconsumption. Yeah. You know, I also joke about, but I'm not really joking having a 50-year plan, having a 100-year plan for my kids. Beyond the years of, of me being here is that get some land outside of New York City. New York City is not going to be a place to be in 100 years. I can't imagine that. But having a homestead somewhere upstate near fresh water. Fresh water and land to plant 
Yeah, I think that was um, a big incentive for Dove to move out here. Maybe not. I don't know if he was thinking about this actively, but now that we've been in South Orange for three years, you look outside on our side garden and he's got like a whole farm. He's like an urban farmer. And it feels great. First of all, it feels great to eat your own food. But to your point, there's a sustainability that's undeniable. Right. But also what you were saying about dove digging and dirt and everything, I very much connect with that. There's something really grounding about it, literally. Mm -hmm. But uh, when things get out of whack for me, think about your elements. Think about you know what works for you to take yourself out of the dark or stressful moments. Go for a walk. Get fresh air. Earth, air, fire, water. Food is always really grounding. Drinking water is always really grounding. So those are some of my stress techniques that I always employ. Nourishing. Yeah. What did you call it before? Earth, wind, fire. No, that's a band. <laughs> Earth, wind, and fire. Yeah. Fire. Go to Burning Man. I've been a total of seven times. I started going in 2001. It was a very different event back then. For me, I go about the art. It's about going to a place where giant expanse of open desert filled with the most crazy creative installation and art projects that stretch the wildest imagination and all of the art is interactive. It's about having like the time and place and space and community to make giant crazy art. And then at the end of the week, it's wiped off the face of the earth like it never existed. And when in 01, 2, 3, and 4, I took a pause for two years and went back in 07 when I worked with my friends to um, build the Acavallo Carousel and drove across country from Brooklyn. That was like running away with the circus. That was, that was, that was one of the best times of my life. Oh, so many photos from them. That's a book project in itself. But then um, in 2016, we brought the kids to Burning Man. <laughs> they were three and five and we drove cross country for a full month it was actually a great success you know everything was at kid level and we camped with other families and uh, and then I took another couple uh, years pause and then I went back last year by myself so much of my life is you know family first it's also something that I struggle with creatively because I'm always drained and it's hard and you also being a parent you feeling a loss of identity but going there in 2018 was huge for me because I really felt like I regained a sense of self. It was just me out there, being out in the desert and building something out of nothing. And that's what the city is for me. It's just building this giant community of 70,000 people for one week and one week only. That's all about exploring art and creativity and then wiping it off the face of the earth like it never existed is very cathartic for me. It's almost like a contradiction because... The art serves me and my soul, but it's soothing me. I feel like I'm fulfilling my soul's purpose. Yeah. I think it can sound really selfish when we say that, but the moment there's that balance between what our soul needs and what we manifest is when it actually grows larger right. than us. Right. I'm very much a subscriber to the idea that we're all creative. You mm -hmm. just need to open your channels. Something that's helped me at times in my life when I've been blocked is doing The Artist's Way. It's a book that you follow that gives you tasks every week. It asks you to write morning pages every day. Free association, whatever you want, consistently write three mm -hmm. pages a day first thing when you wake up. It could be nothing. It can be total junk. It can be, I don't know what to write over and over and over again. A lot of times what's happened to me is that I get this stupid shit that's in my head that's stuck out on the page and then I go hit my work with a clearer head. And if you consistently write, write, write 
what's going on in your life and your head, something is going to make some sense at some point and it's going to help unblock whatever is holding you back, self-doubt, whatever. Then the other core idea is every single week you go on an artist date. Take yourself someplace for an hour or two that helps feed you back, something that's inspiring. It doesn't have to be a gallery. Galleries are nice, but it can be anything. The idea is to empty out and to fill back in. I love that. The book talks a lot about the three-letter word G-O-D. A lot of people get hung up on that. But really, when you think about it, what the book is intending to be is that the source of energy in this universe is, at its very nature, a creative source. And we're all creative by nature. And if you unblock the channels, the creativity flows through you. Yeah. First of all, let's get it out on the table that a lot of artists are really timid about calling themselves an artist and declaring it. Totally. So that's one thing. And the second thing that I've noticed is common is people who are not in the traditional arts, painting, drawing, music, Mm -hmm. you know, the things that we kind of readily connect with being artful, block themselves from creation because they don't think they're inclined or they don't have the natural um, disposition to create something that's deserving of that kind of attention. We're our own worst critics and we throw up our own blocks. And the problem is we're all thinking too much about it. (laughs) We're just thinking too much about everything, analysis, paralysis, whatever, holding ourselves back. Have you found that a lot of the people you've met on these shoots with the Life After Birth project have become recurring voices in your Instagram DMs or emails or... Oh, I get flooded with DMs and it's so powerful. Should I read a couple of them? Yeah. Here's one of my favorite ones from Ask Jeanette. Heather, I cannot put into words how transformative your photographs are. In this short period of time today where we shared space, you have touched my soul with your art and your personal experience. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and selfless and helping the rest of us heal from our own losses and struggles. It was an honor to be photographed by you today, and I truly hope that our paths cross again. Mm. I mean, hearing that my work means something to somebody, even if it's just one person, is, is just worth it all. Yeah. I have a really amazing, intense, beautiful, slash tragic story that I could tell about what this work means for me. I'm open if you're open. So back to the birth work. One of the most amazing births I was called to attend was a stillbirth loss. It was a very strange story how it came about. She wasn't my doula client, and it was an odd, magical coincidence that I just happened to be at the right place at the right time overhearing about somebody's tragedy. I went to a fellow doula's apartment, and they were on the phone having a very serious conversation with somebody and got off the phone, and I asked, what's going on? Is everything okay? And they shared with me, my client at 38 and a half weeks pregnant just found out baby didn't have a heartbeat. I instantly, just without thinking, just said, let me know if you want me to go. I'll take photos for them. And the doula said, really? You would do that? And I said, absolutely. Because 10 years ago when I lost my son, my doula at the time, Mary Catherine Hamlin, who's now a midwife, she is a very talented photographer as well. She took some photos of the birth 
and after he passed away. And I have photos of him. And when you go through something like that, losing a child, and you have to hand your baby over to never see them again, that's all I have now are the photos. That's all I have. And those are so special to me. I can't even begin to describe. So I instantly offered. I'm just like, let me know if you want me to go. I went home. A couple hours later, I got a text saying they would like you to come. And it's not time yet. They'll let you know. I'm like, oh, psyching myself mm-hmm. up, deep breath, grounding myself, going through a whole wave of emotions about what I was about to walk into the room of was basically so similar to my own situation. I was facing my most, my worst moment in my life. So a couple hours later, after the initial text that they had wanted me to come, I got the text that, okay, it's time to come. I um, grabbed my bag, uh, my camera gear like a pro. I ugly cried the whole way in a cab and went to the hospital, the same hospital where I helped uh, support families through so many births before and walking in and knowing everything, corner of that labor and delivery and knowing the nurses there and walking. And it was quite a moment grabbing the handle of that door, going into that room, knowing I'm walking into the room full of complete strangers through supporting them through their worst moment of their life as a stranger myself. Deep breath, open the door, and I did it. I dueled them through the whole process. Thankfully, it was quick, and I took the most amazing photos. They're beautiful photojournalism of a person, a family, going through the experience of a loss, both the beauty and the tragedy of it all at the same time. And uh, I was so grateful I could do that with them irony of it all. The midwife uh, was in the room that she was supposed to originally deliver with. It was the same midwife that helped deliver my son that passed away. Wow. Yeah. What was she going through? As the midwives do, she was quiet, loving, and supportive through the moment. And then she and I rode home in the car after that and processing what we just went through. Making small talk with her, I said, so have you had any other losses since my son And she's like, no, not until today. And here you are a part of this. Wow. That's powerful. (sighs) Uh, You know, the the connections we form in life is just, it's incredible. Like how life comes full circle in so many ways and just the right place at the right time. But my favorite part of the story is I went to see the family a month afterwards for quote unquote, the postpartum visit, which basically meant we sat around polishing off a couple of bottles of wine. Talking about life and loss and pain and how the fuck you move through something so devastating and how to make peace with something, it just is so ready to destroy you. That's when this person told me the most amazing thing I've ever heard. They told me that they had been told the story about my loss before they had me come. And she said that that was the decision And she said to me that in the moment of delivering her baby, knowing that she wouldn't be able to keep that baby, knowing that I had gone through that same loss and that I had enough strength to show up and be there for her and support her through that, she said, gave her strength to do what she needed to do. That's amazing, Heather. That honestly is the proudest moment of my career. You can take something that feels so overwhelming, but when you work through it and you can find a way and the strength and the energy to make it a beautiful part of your story and give back. There's nothing better I could have done with my life than that moment right there. You're unbelievable. Thank you. (laughs) It's groundbreaking. Thank you for listening. 
Thank you for coming on. We've cried like 20 times. <laughs> I get real with it. Yes, you do. It's, it's your superpower. Thank you. And, you know, and just in general, we can't do all of this big work of sharing everything in our hearts and our souls without having a community behind us. So I'm just as good as the whole community of everybody else that's walking this path with me. And that's what I'm so grateful for. Yes, we cannot do it alone. No. We all need to be guided, uplifted, supported in some way, shape, or form. And even just through the creative process, you know what, listen, there's enough work for all of us. Be a mentor, take mentees, help everybody lift their own work up. Somebody else's voice is their own unique voice and it doesn't infringe upon yours. And A thousand percent. Yeah. And, you know, and I really feel like creativity is what's ultimately going to help heal what's all going on in the world right now. There's been a lot of forces of destruction and what, what else is the opposite of destruction? Anything else on your mind? If you get too egotistical and you're like, I'm great, I got this, that's when somebody else is going to pass you by or or that's when you lose your game, you know? You also need to keep growing, changing, learning, evolving. Nothing ever stays the same. Why should your work stay the same? You don't stay the same. I'm not the same person I was five years ago, ten years ago. People that knew me 20 years ago, they they need to re-know me now. Being alive is about being renewed. Yeah. And if I weren't keep growing and changing, I mean, I'd be stagnant, I'd be stuck, and I wouldn't be feeling alive. So I'm always out there searching for new ways to grow and change. And I'm always trying to learn about everything I can, not not just about art, but just every facet of life. And actually, my goal in life, if I can share with you, that at a ripe old age of, you know, 97-some-year-old person uh, is to leave the planet via spontaneous combustion (laughs) that I'm just gonna I'm just gonna reach the perfect moment and like the perfect pinnacle of whatever like energy and knowledge and I'm just gonna poof out of existence and everybody gonna be around me gonna be like yep she did it (laughs) that's nirvana yeah poof yourself out of existence yeah (laughs) like I did it I did everything that I could poof yeah, is that does it make a noise, <laughs> or is it like this quiet kind of? I th- I would like to think I go out with a bang, <laughs> <laughs> and then you heard it here. I want everybody to have a party and celebrate life. Yeah, a life well lived. Totally, I love you. I love you. This has been so great. This has been lovely. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an honor sharing with you. Thank you so much for listening to Blissfully Aware. Look out for future episodes where we'll continue to share inspiring talks with creative people who are force for good. Subscribe to Blissfully Aware through your favorite podcast app and check out thedaring.co for in-depth articles. You can also find us on Instagram at thedaring.co. I'm your host, Iwana Friedman. Our theme music is by Ben Tyree. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at info at the daring.co. Until next time.